May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Enough is enough. You've been there, haven't you? We've all been there. I mean, maybe it's the young children who live in your house or the teenagers who live in your house. Maybe it's your husband's messiness or your wife's tardiness or your car that's been to the shop 27 times and still isn't running right. Your neighbor who refuses to mow his lawn. There's a point, and we all get there, where enough is enough. Everybody has a limit. When I was growing up, um, my Aunt Carol was the, the most wonderful, and still is, the most wonderful person in the world, the most patient person. I have never met somebody with the patience of my Aunt Carol. She was just truly a saint. And, and she and my Uncle Jack had three sons that were almost the same ages as my two brothers and I. So there they were, these six boys, you know, stair-stepped together. Um, and we would often spend a lot of time together. And one summer, one of my brothers and I went to stay with my Uncle Jack and Aunt Carol and Chris, Brian, and Dirk, but my three cousins, and, and there were six boys there. And as, as God would have it, as, as blessing upon blessing, there was a house on the right and the left that both had a bunch of boys in it. And so we all converged at the Byerman house where there was this constant, this deluge of boys everywhere. And there were woods out back and we built forts and tree houses and fished in the creek and got crawdads and toads and all the wonderful things. Um, it was just, it was great. It was, it was as close to heaven on earth as perhaps I can ever imagine. And when it rained, we came in and played hide-and-go-seek in the house and, you know, board games, scrabble and risk and all that sort of stuff. And I remember this one stretch where there were several days. We were there for almost a month. There were these stretch where there were these several days in a row, really bad weather. And so we couldn't go out. And for some reason, we didn't go to anybody else's house. We just stayed at my Aunt Carol's house. My Uncle Jack was away at work. And so here she has, you know, 10 or 12 boys, all under 12, <laughs> all day long. And after a while, she sort of broke. I mean, she just, she kind of had a meltdown. And I remember her saying, everybody in the car now. And we were all kind of, we had no idea where we were going. They had this old, you know, kind of 70s, it was the 70s, had this station wagon with a wood panel on the sides. Have you ever seen those? And we all, we thought, of course, about who got the way back seat. And there's a scrabble, you know, and, and we're back and forth. And finally we get into the car. And she drove to the movie theater. And she didn't park the car. She just pulled up in the fire lane. Ordered everybody out of the car and onto the sidewalk. I mean, this is Mother Teresa, I'm telling you. If you would see her and have her lose it like this was just, we didn't know what to do. She whispered some instructions to the two oldest boys. And then she went down and she gave us a few dollars each. And she said, go find a movie and watch it. I'll be back in two hours. <laughs> and she got in the car and she was gone. I remember the movie with Chevy Chase, Oh Heavenly Dog, went in there and watched this movie. It was, it, she had had enough. It was over. Enough is enough. And it was the 70s where you could just drop kids off on the front of the step of the movie theater and go and then they were fine. I had actually participated in pushing a saint to the absolute edge of her sanity. 
And I don't know. I don't know how to, how to feel about that. But I had done that. I was there. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been to that edge where it's just enough is enough. My own mother had a much closer edge, or maybe it's just because I lived with her, and I, I don't know. But, but she would say to me often, Joe, enough is enough, and you're too much. <laughs> go Another one of her favorites, don't go away mad, just go away. You know, like this, just get up, give me some space. Because strength is a finite resource. We get to the end of it sometimes, don't we? But the truth of the matter is that oftentimes we give up kind of early. We give up before the strength is actually, actually gone because sometimes it takes work and tenacity. Sometimes something is just too tiring or humbling. Sometimes we give up because it's just too difficult or because we have this sense of entitlement that anything difficult is too much for us. And so a little bit of pressure is too much pressure. Uh, during the Second World War, um, you'll remember the history that, that Britain was under a fierce assault, nearly all of Europe under the control of the Nazis. Churchill alone was, was trying to marshal the, the British people to, you know, don't ever give up, you know, be strong, stay in this. And his never surrender speech may be the most famous. Churchill said to the nation, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the land ground. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Sometimes you can't give up. There are times when, when no matter the price, you have to keep going. The cost is so important. The issue is so crucial, so critical. Surrender is not an option. And in those times, what do you have to do? You have to dig down deep. You have to find that hidden strength. You have to find that source of, 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 of continuing. You have to keep on keeping on. There is no option for surrender. In the Gospel lesson, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. It's getting late in Luke's Gospel. We're in the 18th chapter. We're getting close to Jerusalem, and as he's getting closer and closer, he knows the fate that awaits him. And so his focus begins to really narrow on his disciples, his, his followers, his friends. And, and Luke gives us a little heads up about this lesson. He stops to give them a lesson on prayer. And, and notice what Luke said, if you, if you didn't catch it in the reading. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and never to lose heart. Now, parables are stories. They're not historic events, not necessarily. They're, they're once upon a time. And you get a couple of this, a certain judge in a certain city. I mean, this is what Jesus does all the time, the once upon a time. The truth of the story is held in the moral of the story, not in its historicity. And so they're not necessarily, he's not necessarily going for historical. But he told this story for a reason. The reason is that people should keep on praying and not lose heart. Luke literally says it's necessary to keep on praying and not become weak, not to lose, not to lose heart is, is idiomatic, that's the way we say it, not to become frail or weakened and give up, to stay vigilant. And as I look through this, I notice that this parable really says two things to me. 
This one is, in the face of difficulty, prayer is our most powerful resource. The second thing is that difficulty will come. Adversity will come to all of us. Put it back the other way. Adversity will come to all of us. And when it does, our most powerful resource is prayer. And this is particularly important when it comes to the Christian mission. I think there is great confusion about the Christian mission. I think many Christians believe that it is about getting people to heaven. Getting people so that they are ready for heaven. That is not the message of the New Testament. The message of the New Testament, especially of the Gospels, is about bringing heaven to earth. It's in the prayer that we pray every single day. And yet somehow it just sneaks right by us. What do we pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. That's right. We pray that the kingdom will come to earth, not that earth will go to heaven. The book of Revelation, how does it end? It ends with the new Jerusalem, this city, this heavenly city, coming down and resting upon the earth. If you looked at the measurements, what you'd be really amazed to see is that you look at the ancient Near Eastern or the ancient Mediterranean world, it was roughly the same size as the Mediterranean world. It sits right down on top of it. Heaven is coming to earth. And if our mission is to bring heaven to earth, what do we need to do? Pray and don't give up. Pray and don't give up. In order to illustrate this, Jesus tells this little story. Once upon a time, there was this judge. This judge did not fear God, and he wasn't concerned about what other people thought. He was amoral. (laughs) He was not able to be appealed to on the sense of morality. Neither was he open to influence by other people. He didn't care what people thought. Notice how it's set up. Very first character. Powerful man. In a man's world where men controlled everything. Here you have a powerful man, a judge. A judge who's not afraid of God. A judge who is not easily influenced by people. And then we have a second character. A widow. Again, in the ancient Near Eastern world, I'm not making a plea for this. I'm just telling you the way it was. Here is a woman in a man's world. She had no power. She's at the very bottom of the the power food chain. She has no husband to protect her or to advocate for her. She has no one. She's likely very poor. And so she's the polar opposite of the judge. Mighty, powerful man, weak woman without any kind of hope. And as fate would come, here it is. This widow has a case to bring to the judge. And she comes to the judge and he won't even listen to her. I think he won't even hear her case. She comes day after day. Day after day she keeps coming. The judge is not influenced. She can't appeal to his morality. Look, this is wrong. God would not. He doesn't care. She can't use any sort of influence. Hey, you know what your neighbor down the street will say if you don't help me out. He doesn't care about that either. He cannot be influenced. She comes day after day. Listen to St. Luke. For a while he refused, that is the judge to hear, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by coming continually. She keeps bothering me. We use metaphors like this all the time, don't we? Pester. 
you know, when children do to you what pests do, or when, you know, your neighbor does to you what pests do, or they're bugging me, you know, when somebody does. That's not the strength of the word that Luke uses. She's beating on me. This is what he says. This woman is beating on me, and I'm going to give her justice. Here's what he literally says, lest she black both of my eyes. She's pounding on me. Not literally, metaphorically, right? She just keeps coming back again and again. And finally he says, enough lady, whatever you want. God is not unjust, unkind, unmovable. God is benevolent and good and kind and generous. Jesus says to us, if this amoral judge who has no concern for what other people think can eventually be moved by the persistence of a widow, how much more will God be moved on behalf of the church in fulfilling its mission in the world if only they will keep coming to him in prayer? The difficulty, of course, is that we're really not concerned about heaven coming to earth. (laughs) We have the mission so reversed that all we can think about is, is earth going to heaven. We may have some idea of a utopia promised to us by our political systems, whatever they are, but it's not thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we think of when we think about heaven coming to earth? Because if it's a political platform, that is not heaven coming to earth. I don't care what political platform it is. If it's a theocracy, like a Christian version of the caliphate, that is not heaven coming to earth. If it's a world where everybody's an Anglican, or a Catholic, or a Baptist, or a Methodist, or a Pentecostal, or whatever it is, that is not heaven coming to earth. If it's a world where we can outlaw all sins, that too is not heaven coming to earth. Heaven coming to earth is when people turn to God, when they love Him out of a genuine heart of love and appreciation, when they find joy and freedom and reconciliation both to God and to their neighbors. Heaven on earth is when people worship because they want to, not because they ought to or have to. And this is the hard work. This is the hard work of doing mission in the world. So I think that we go either one of two ways. We either go for the shortcut or we give up. The shortcut or we give up. Here's the shortcut. If only our, worship, if only our music was happier, our worship easier, less theologically confrontational. If only sermons were shorter, <laughs> don't say it. If only they were cleverer or whatever, whatever, um, then our church would grow and heaven would come to earth. If only, here's the catch word, we were more relevant. If only we were more relevant. And listen, I'm not arguing for irrelevance, don't get that wrong, but that's not the answer. And so when we don't do that answer, we, go for the, we don't go for the shortcut, we go for the give up. Oh, this is just too much hard work. And we forget that the most powerful tool in our arsenal for bringing heaven to earth is prayer. That if we only would give ourselves to constant prayer in this area, God would answer. 
And it has to be prayer for the right things. That men and women, boys and girls, would turn to Christ and love Him. That He would dwell in the hearts and the homes of people. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles. That we would open our hearts to God. This He'll do it. What the church needs most is not new programs, not better music, better preaching. Those things are great, have their right place. But the church has flourished in times and places where it had none of these things. The Second Great Awakening in the United States uh, under George Whitfield, and, and then later uh, under, um, um, who got, his name just totally went out of my mind, um, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, Jonathan Edwards, there we go. See, I get my backup brain right over here. Um, Jonathan Edwards, have you ever heard about Edwards preaching? It was horrible. It was monotone, uninteresting, sometimes even wrong. But there are people who turn to God because of that. We don't need relevance. We don't need to be irrelevant. We just need people who would dare to bang on the doors of heaven and not stop. Until God answers. Because He will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.